Amen. Good morning and welcome once again. My name is Craig Thompson and I'm the pastor here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. It is our joy to have you with us. I'm trying to reorient myself with a differently placed uh, congregation. Y'all are so far away. Y'all were closer when you were in your cars than you are right now. We are the most Baptist outdoor service that has ever existed for those of you watching at home, I want you to understand that the closest person to me is 100 yards away, or at least it seems that way. But I'm glad to be able to see faces and not just windshields. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly fun to uh, step into this next phase of what it looks like for us to begin making the efforts to gather together again. We know that it's going to be a, a phased um, attempt, and, and we're going to maybe have some bumps along the way. Just know that uh, throughout this process, we're learning with you, which means that next Sunday, I'm going to move the trailer closer so y'all can't get as far away from me. Um, no, we're learning. Uh, one of the things that may happen, almost certainly will happen, is that at some point, we'll probably back our worship time up to 9.30 or so. Uh, we have been so blessed today by the Lord with these overcast skies and this breeze. But uh, we, we don't want to presume upon his goodness as we move on towards uh, June. So it's possible that as, uh, as we are outdoors, we may back that up. So just pay attention to your email and to Facebook and things like that. We will communicate that with you. And a reminder, we would make decisions about weather at about 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. So uh, just know that this is our pattern moving forward unless the weather were to uh, suggest differently. And if that becomes... The case, we will wait as long as we can to make that decision, but about 7 a.m. is as late as we could wait to make that call because it does take a couple of hours to get all the equipment set up and allow the, uh, the, the praise team to have a sound check and all that other stuff. All right, that's sort of the logistics of where we are. Again, thank you so much for being with us. If you're tuning in from home, we are glad that you're with us. We're um, going to continue to do everything in our power to make sure that even as we have these outdoor services, we're still going to make sure that live stream is available. I'm encouraged by what I'm hearing from some of you who are watching that at home, and I'm so glad that we can actually be a part of, uh, of ministering to you through this online medium. Uh, we will continue to live stream probably from now on, but at least for the next 12 months or so. We, we know that at some point we'll move back inside, and when we do, there's still going to be some of you that are uncomfortable making that move, and we're going to continue to make live stream available so that all of you can have a connection with your church, regardless of how the situations and circumstances of life may affect you. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews today, Hebrews chapter 2. And the, um, the thing that we did not test when we made this move was the glare on my iPad. So this should be interesting. All right, Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to ask you, because a lot of you are out of your vehicles and sitting, I'm going to ask if you would uh, to stand with me in honor of God's Word. Because regardless of the circumstances of life, God's Word is always worthy of our reverence and respect. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 9. Here now, for this is the word of God. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd be glorified, honored, and praised through the preaching of your word. Lord, we know that your word doesn't return void. And so we are confident in the power of your spirit that whether your word is preached in person or whether your word is preached online, Father God, regardless of how it is that someone may come across this word, may hear this word, we are confident in the power of God to bring about change. And we pray today that you would, as we consider the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and the crowning glory of Jesus Christ, Lord God, may it not be mere theological speculation on our part, but may it be, Lord God, life-changing truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, again, thank you for being with us. I want to remind you that we are in the book of Hebrews, and uh, in that time in Hebrews, we are going to be digging into what are some pretty deep theological waters And I do want to remind you again, why would we do that? Well, we do it because God's Word says so. We also do it as a a good reminder that when we're wrestling with the issues of life, even hard issues of life, having a firm understanding of who God is and what He has done helps us to wrestle with curveballs that get thrown at us. Curveballs like pandemics, but also all sorts of other curveballs like job losses or sick children or all the other things that come in. When we have a right view of God, then we can have a right view of life and a right view of how it is that we are to respond to all the things that life throws at us. This morning, I want to ask you the question, what did Jesus do for you? What did Jesus do for you? See, the crown of glory for Jesus was not made of gold or or, or earthly fame. Jesus' crown was made of thorns and a cross. He tasted death so that you wouldn't have to. I appreciate the way that one commentator said it to to me this week in a a book I was reading. When Jesus tasted death, he didn't taste death in the way that maybe you would taste the medicine before your children taste it so they'll know that it's okay and safe. He tasted death so that you would not have to. Two, Jesus took the punishment for you and for me so that we might live in his salvation. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9 gives us a picture of what true humanity looks like. This is the picture of the good life. The picture of the life as Jesus shows it to us. What if happiness is not all the possessions and all the accomplishments that this world to offer? What if happiness is actually communion with God and serving others? What if Jesus, the most human human who has ever lived, the only person who has ever fully achieved the purpose for which God created man, what if Jesus holds the key not only to our salvation and hope, but the key to real, true happiness in the world? If we believe that Jesus is the ultimate man who shows us true humanity and happiness, then we have to believe that the way of Jesus is the right way. The way of Jesus is not an accident. The way of Jesus is not an option. The way of Jesus is right and true and trustworthy. What did Jesus do for you? He made it possible for you to be right with God, and he demonstrated the path toward true and ultimate humanity. This morning there are three things, as there often are, that I would like for us to pull out of this passage of Scripture. Three crowns that Jesus put on and three crowns that I believe are important for us to understand as we worship 
the Lord Jesus Christ. The first crown, according to the book of Hebrews, that Jesus put on was the crown of suffering. The crown of suffering. Man of sorrows. What a name. The way of the cross is different than the way of man. As a matter of fact, the way of cross is different from the way of man's glory. It's different from the way of an American understood ideal of glory. Jesus wasn't glorified because of his power or his influence. Jesus found satisfaction, honor, and glory because he suffered and died. He sacrificed for us. He took our sin and our shame on the cross. And in so doing, he assumed his place at the right hand of the Father. This should come as no surprise. The prophets had all foretold this. They warned us that Jesus would suffer and die. But Jesus' followers missed it. None of the followers were camped out by the tomb waiting for Jesus to rise from the dead. They missed out on these important prophecies that have been given. But if we run to the book of Isaiah, we are reminded here. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 53, He was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus suffered and through his suffering he received the crown of glory. Don't miss that progression that we have here in the book of Hebrews. It serves as a reminder that Jesus was crowned after he suffered and died. Now understand that when Jesus came to earth, he came as the Son of God. He came deserving all glory and honor and praise. But when we look at the crowning achievement of Jesus, Jesus' crowning achievement was death on a Roman cross. And y'all, it is worth remembering that a Roman cross was the most Horrible way for people to die. You say, now, do you mean that it was the most painful, torturous? Maybe, maybe not. There, there were, have been terrible inventions of mankind throughout all of history to kill people. But the cross did not serve only as an instrument of death. It served as a propaganda tool for the Roman government. Some have said that to wear a cross around your neck would be the equivalent, uh, in, in the first century, to wear a cross around your neck would be the equivalent of us wearing a, a, um, a, an electric chair around our neck today. But that's not entirely true. When people die in the electric chair today or they die of lethal injection, they do so hidden from public view. The goal there is for a person to face their punishment, but not for the whole wide world to look on. Instead, those who hung on Roman crosses were assumed to be cursed, cursed by God, cursed by the world. They were the outcasts of society, and Rome made sure that the world knew that to oppose Rome was to be an outcast suffering a terrible, cruel death. They were stripped naked, beaten, and hung on a cross in public display for all the world to see. This was the fate of our Savior, a suffering death. And yet, his crowning achievement was that suffering death. Because what Rome thought that they accomplished and what the devil thought that he could accomplish by killing Jesus was nothing less and nothing more than the ultimate victory of God over death, hell, sin, and the grave. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because he suffered. Jesus carried the crown of suffering. Secondly, this morning, Jesus took the crown of honor. 
Now, honor is an acknowledgement of worth. In the New Testament, the Greek word used for honor here is often translated price. So when we think of ascribing Jesus honor and glory, the honor aspect here is that Jesus was owed something of incredible worth. The idea here is that Jesus is worthy. Of course, the price for Jesus' death was valued at only 30 pieces of silver. An irony considering that the priceless Son of God was sold for such a small sum of money. But when we speak of Jesus' crown of honor, understand that this is important for us. As I've said over and over again over the last several weeks in Hebrews, only when we get Jesus right can we rightly order the rest of our lives. In the Bible, honor is often a thing paid to one who has accomplished something. So the builder of a house is said to be worthy of honor for that which he has accomplished. A military leader is said to be honored for that which he has accomplished. And so Jesus is to be honored for what he has accomplished. Don't miss it. What did he accomplish but the greatest task in all of human history? In all of created history, nothing has been so monumental as the overwhelming victory of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And as a result of his suffering death and his resurrection, Jesus is worthy of all our honor and praise. Honor is what, in essence, he has earned through his suffering and death. And now we understand that because Jesus is God in the flesh, he was already of incomparable worth. But according to these passages, even his infinite worth has been multiplied as a result of his suffering and death. Jesus is seated today at the right hand of the Father, the Father of the Father, crowned with incomparable value and worth. He is the supreme victor and the ruler of the world. And as a result, he deserves all of our honor. We can't put a price tag on that. Do you understand? But if we contemplate what Jesus is worth, we've got to understand that he is worth more than anything else in all of history. That his death on the cross of Calvary is worth more than any other event in all of history. For every ruler who has ever lived who desired to be honored by his people, there was nothing that they can do that can compare with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus took the crown of suffering. Jesus took the crown of honor. And Jesus took the crown of glory. Now, when we think of glory, now in our Bible, there in Hebrews, it says that he is crowned with glory and honor. And we generally sort of run through that and kind of mesh them in together. Remember that God's Word doesn't contain accidental words. God's Word, God's Bible, doesn't contain accidental words. Now, this is not only true because of the value of God's Word. It's also true because of the incredible cost of writing things in the ancient world. Okay? Paper or anything upon which they would have written, whether it would be papyrus or whether it be uh, vellum or, or any other material that they would have used, was expensive and hard to come by. As a result, people did not waste words when they were writing letters. These are important words. And so when the Bible says that he is worthy of honor and glory, let's not mash those in together and assume that they were just synonymous words that God was piling on top of one another in this word to the Hebrews. 
Instead, glory carries with it a different understanding and meaning than the word honor. Honor speaks of the value of something. Glory speaks of the majesty and beauty and power of a thing. If honor acknowledges Jesus' worth, glory acknowledges that He is beautiful and that He is filled with splendor. When we speak of Jesus being crowned with honor, we talk about what He is worth, but with His glory we make reference to His beauty and His magnificence and His greatness. If honor can be qualified, glory cannot. So if we think about this in terms of a piece of property that we might be interested in purchasing, a piece of property may be given a monetary value. And so perhaps you would look at a piece of property and that piece of property might be worth pennies on the dollar or it might be worth thousands of dollars per acre. But let's just, just say that a piece of property can be valued. But here's what you can't value. You can't value the glory that might be perceived on that property. So if you wanted to buy a mountain today, let's just say that your mountain could be valued at $10,000 an acre. And let's just say that you were wealthy enough that you wanted to buy a 100,000 acre mountain because you believe that it was worth that money. And then you hiked to the top of that mountain. And you got at the very pinnacle top where there were no trees and there was nothing impeding your view. And the clouds rolled away. And you experienced the most incredible view from the top of that mountain. And you could see for miles and miles around. You could see the rivers running below and the houses on the hills around. You see an eagle circling over the top. Listen, that is a glorious view that you cannot put a price tag on. When we think about something and its value, we might haggle and argue about its worth. But when it comes to glory, there is no haggling because there are no words. When we think of Jesus' glory, we must be reminded of Isaiah as he beheld the glory of the Lord in the temple. And the Bible said that the train of the Lord's glory filled, the train of his robe filled the temple. And the glory of the Lord took out all of the air in the place. And Isaiah was left speechless. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live, I reside among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah didn't pull out his wallet and go, can I afford this? Isaiah stepped back and said, there's nothing I have that compares to all of these things. We speak of Jesus being crowned with honor and glory. We need to be reminded that this glory is the crowning jewel of God's creation. This glory is the idea behind the speechlessness that comes. It is the power of wind and the majesty of sea and the beauty of sunset all wrapped into one and multiplied infinitely. This is what the Westminster Catechism and later Baptist Confessions of Faith means when they claim the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We are to ascribe to God the glory that is due His name, but doing so is not a burden or a killjoy. People bristle at this idea because somehow there's this uh, belief that for me to give God glory is somehow taking away from my joy and is a burden upon me that God wouldn't put upon His people. But nobody stands on top of a mountain and beholds the glory around them and says, why would anybody force me to enjoy this? Nobody gets to the top of a mountain after sweating and climbing and working and looks around and goes, well, this is just miserable. 
Well, some of you might, but you probably need medication. Or a spanking. Or all, I'm not sure. When we speak of the chief end of man as glorifying God and enjoying Him, this is the idea that I am exposed to the Lord God Almighty, to the King of the universe, and in that moment, nobody says, you better enjoy Him or else. No, because as a follower of Jesus, a blood-bought child of God, when I experience the glory, the beauty, and the grandeur of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, His glory overwhelms and envelops me. And I am astounded. I'm speechless. I just shut my mouth. Because there is something that I can't pay for. There's something that I can't quantify. There's something that I can't create. There's something that only I can, you ready, attempt to appreciate. The king of glory, when beheld by his children, is all-inspiring and breath. Taking, And when we look at his nail-scarred hands and we view his thorn-pierced brow, we are struck with awe and wonder. We are speechless and we are overwhelmed because he is the king of glory. I have read sermons and listened to sermons and read blog posts and articles till I, I, I can't hardly consume any more about what the next step should be for churches and for the people of God and for communities and for countries. And, 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 and the, 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 the scale of response to this runs the gamut. I read one this morning that was a practical how-to guide of what you should expect when you begin opening your, your services back up. Expect some people to show up that shouldn't be there. Expect some people to be unhappy. Expect some people to be happy. Folks, I, I don't know what all the right answers are. And there's a reason that you're not hearing right answer sermons from me today. There's a reason that we're not focusing on practical next steps today. Because the reality is none of us knows for sure what the right practical next step will be. But here's what I can tell you with absolute certainty. If you'll find yourself lost, the majesty, the grandeur, the holiness of God. If you will look at the crown of suffering, the crown of honor, and the crown of glory. Then everything else in this world pales in comparison. And if we will find ourselves lost in praise and honor and glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if we will trust that His way is the right way, then what we will discover is that even in hard days, when days don't come as we would like, when we don't get to experience life the way that we want to experience it, we may be reminded that the way of suffering is the way of the cross. And that our Savior suffered and died so that we might live. We might just be reminded... That humans find their greatest joy in struggling and striving together and in glorifying and honoring the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What has Jesus done for you? So often, that question becomes this question. What has Jesus done for you lately? But that's the wrong question to ask, isn't it? 
We've got to ask, what has Jesus done? When I put that lately in there, I begin to say, well, Jesus didn't do this, and Jesus didn't do that, and I didn't get my way. I begin to sound like a four-year-old child, don't I? What have your parents done for you? Well, I wanted chicken nuggets for lunch, and I got broccoli. Okay, can we go all the way back to when they gave you birth, when they gave you life? Can we talk about that? Well, I wanted chicken nuggets, and I got broccoli. Can we talk about the roof over your head? Well, I wanted chicken nuggets, and I got broccoli. Can we talk about the hot water that you bathed in this morning? Well, you know what? They won't let me have Coke today. Man, we look at that, and we go, what a spoiled child. But how often we as God's children forget what has he done for me and focus only on what has he done for me lately. Well, this isn't the world I want to live in. And Jesus says, it wasn't the world I, I wanted to die in, but I have given you life and hope and joy. Y'all, there's much that we can do and much that we can focus on. But can I tell you that if we will seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, everything else, everything else will be added. Why are we focusing on these sermons that are not very practical? Because I do believe that when it's all said and done, the book of Hebrews coincides well, and these times coincide well with the book of Job. And there at the end, Job just says, You know what, God? Here I am. And God says, Oh, by the way, Job, here I am. What did you want to say again? And Job says, Never mind. <laughs> turns out, turns out, God, now that I can see that, now that I behold you, Turns out it doesn't matter anymore. Because when Job beheld the glory of the king, everything else paled in comparison. I didn't sleep well last night. I haven't slept well for several weeks. I, I don't know why. Um, uh, and anybody else having trouble sleeping or is it just me? Oh, so it's just me. Thanks for making me feel good, guys. Thanks. Um, it's awesome. Uh, but I, I didn't sleep well um, I, I woke up multiple times, and every time I woke up, it was dark, right? Three o'clock, it's dark. Four o'clock, it's dark. One o'clock, it was dark. It's just dark. But you know, the sun keeps coming up every morning. It does. I, I, I find myself opening my eyes, and there's the sun. And it's amazing that as the sun comes up and the darkness flees, things change pretty quickly for me. I find myself allowing the sunshine, and even sometimes against my better judgment, to drive away the frustration of, of, a, of a, a, a sleepless night. I, I find the sun drawing me out of the bed, drawing me out of the house. I find the sun pushing away the darkness. And if I take just a minute, I find myself being blown away with a reminder that though whatever it is going on at night may last for a while, joy's going to come in the morning. Y'all, Jesus was crowned with suffering, but it was through that crown of suffering that Jesus earned the crown of honor and glory. And it is because of that crown of suffering and that crown of honor and that crown of glory that He demands our praise and our worship. But it's also because of His crown of suffering that He makes possible our praise and worship. It's because he suffered and died that you and I might live. It's because he suffered and died that we might experience salvation forevermore. It's because he bled on the cross of Calvary. It's because he tasted the death that the writer of Hebrews speaks about there. Because he tasted death, we can live. And so this morning, in addition to urging, encouraging, and pleading with you to worship 
and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that you can actually do that. That though your sins have separated you from your God, He has made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ for you to be forgiven, made right, made whole, and made clean. He's actually made it possible for you to be in relationship with Him. Today, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to pray to receive Jesus. Today, if you've heard this message, you go, you know what? God is worthy of glory and honor and praise. And yet I've never given it to him. Today can be the day that you cry out and say, Lord God, I want to serve you. Forgive me for my sins. I want Jesus to change my life. I promise you that he will do that. But believer, Christian follower of Jesus, listen to me today. Though the clouds may be dark and though night may seem to roll in, can I remind you? That Jesus is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's still seated on his throne. He is the man of sorrows who suffered with that crown of suffering. But he's also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's seated today at the right hand of the Father. Suffering no more. But reigning supreme and eternal. He is the King of glory. He wants to be your King. And he's worthy of your praise and your worship. This morning, we're going to sing. And y'all, we've been cooped up in cars for a while. I know that this layout's a little different. and The musicians are on the other side of you. But Jesus is worthy of our raised voices. I'm going to pray in a minute. When I do, I want y'all to stand up and turn around. And I want us to look back toward the praise team. And I want us to sing this morning. Sing praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is worthy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified through our raised voices this morning. Father, I thank you for the Son, Lord God, that brings hope. But Lord, more than that, I thank you for the Son of God who brings healing. Lord, I, I know today that if we will join with one another, Lord God, if we will look to you and give you glory, and enjoy you, Lord God, that we will find joy everlasting. May we trust that the way of Jesus is the right way. In Christ's name, amen.